Please prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a I'm Grace Bella Harmon, board-certified dance movement therapist and embodied grief guide. Body Grieves, Spirit Calls is an open exploration of the connection between grief, embodiment, and spirituality. I believe the grieving is an inherently sacred process that deserves and requires its own attention and energy to fully integrate. Through personal stories, reflections, and interviews, I seek to highlight the ways in which grief can bring us home to our bodies and to a deeper connection with the spirit that holds us all. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so glad to have you here. I really want to invite you to listen to this conversation with Neil McKinley with a really open heart as he shares his experience of the grief following leaving his spiritual community. And I know that this is not an uncommon experience, either being forced to leave a spiritual or or cult-like community or being kicked out. And I really wanted to bring him on here because I know this is a common experience in the collective and because it really helps us understand the connection between our personal losses and collective grief as a whole. So Neil is a meditation teacher and mentor, and he really shares so beautifully how his own grief process has impacted his meditation practice, as well as his teaching, his mentorship, and the spaces he holds for others. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Also, just a heads up that today, this episode is releasing on March 1st, 2023. So today is the last day to apply for this round of Yoni Alchemy for Grief Transformation, which is a really potent, beautiful four-month container. So I will leave the link to my website um, in the show notes, and you can find more information there. Also, If you are a practitioner or a therapist or another space holder who works with with grieving people in some capacity and you want to expand your ability to hold grief well, to work well with grief, then my Standing with Grief course will be starting to enroll today as well. Yeah, so we'll start in April. And I would love to have you if it calls. Okay, so I hope you get in a comfortable place, sit back, and take this very important conversation in with Neil McKinley. Okay, welcome, Neil. So happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Pleasure to be here with your listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to just kind of dive right in. Um, and I'd love for you to share your name and, you know, anything else about you that feels important to share. Yeah. Um, and anything that feels true about how your grief is living in your body in this moment. Well, why don't I just briefly introduce myself and then uh, dive into that second inquiry, which I think will probably 
open things up for us. So, you know, my name is Neil McKinley. I'm a meditation teacher and a meditation mentor. I work one-on-one. I work with groups. I do classes, workshops, retreats. Um, You know, the main focus of my work these days really has been the main focus for many years, although it's becoming more and more overt, is um, the challenges and opportunities involved in what I call bringing meditation to life. And this is really a task that invites us all to explore three interrelated questions together. You know, how can we support meditation in our lives? How can we connect the discoveries that arise in our practice with the stuff of our everyday lives? And how can we allow the wisdom that we touch or the wisdom that meditation um, allows us to touch how can we let this reveal the path or the necessarily unique path that is our lives? And I suspect that last one's going to be central to our um, discussions moving forward, although all three will probably weave through there. And my main vehicle um, for exploring and engaging this task is an online community called the Online Gatherings. There are certainly others, but... Um, now, in terms of that other inquiry, that's that second inquiry, you know, how is grief living in my body today? It was, it's, it's really interesting inquiry. And, uh, you know, I sat with it a little bit this morning as I was getting ready for this. And um, much to my surprise, I couldn't stop thinking about something that's actually happening right now. Here in Victoria, British Columbia, we've had a couple of days of, of for us, heavy snow. And mm-hmm. while it's not unheard of, it's not something we're terribly prepared for. So the city has more or less shut down, including the local university. And my daughter's a student at the local university. And so what's been going on the last couple of days is there have been these rolling cancellation of final exams. Mm-hmm. And then a sudden hurried scrambled rescheduling of these final exams before Christmas hits, before everyone takes off, you know, it's, it's just been um, a somewhat chaotic fly by the seat of our pants um, situation. And when I was sitting with this question today, what kept coming up is all the students, there must be hundreds, maybe thousands of students who've had their cancer exams canceled in the last couple of uh, days, who are not really being overly supported by the university in kind of how they're going to be handling this moving forward. Like I said, it's been rolling announcements every three hours. Um, and people have just been adjusting on the fly. And that sense of abandonment, the, just the the sorrow and the ache and the grief of that collective sense of abandonment is is what kept coming up when I was asking that question. And so I would say, how is grief living in my body today? Is it's living in a relational or a collective way, Mm -hmm. specifically with this particular situation that's going on right now? But it also echoes back to the grief story that I suspect we're going to be touching into here together. My my grief story in air quotes that I've always thought of as an individual story. But based upon my experience this morning, provoked by this question, I'm realizing my grief story is actually a collective grief story. That grief lives in my body relationally, collectively, connectedly. It's not an isolated entity. And, um, you know, my story really started to unfold when I somehow began to tap into that. So Mm -hmm. that would be my answer to that wonderful question. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's so been the experience that I see in myself and in the people that I guide that the more that we can connect to our own grief in our bodies, the less alone we feel, I think, for that reason. Like, Mm -hmm. the more we see ourselves in other people, the more we see other people in us, the more Mm -hmm. we, you know, we know that we're not alone once we can feel it in our bodies. Yeah, very much so. Right. Up here and pointing to my head. On to the listeners. (laughs) Yes, thank you for sharing. And it's so, um, I think it's, you know, this institutional sense of abandonment, um, I think in so many ways is really alive in the collective. 
um, for a lot of different reasons. And I'm sort of with the fact that we are, um, you know, at, on in the Northern hemisphere, we're entering the winter solstice right now. And so we're closing the loop of the year. Um, and yeah, this just feels like a really pertinent conversation to be having in this moment. Yeah. And it does, I think a lot of us have that sense of, of closure, if you will, to use that term, you know, maybe in a grander scale too, this sense that, um, you know, the normal that many of us long to go back to from three years ago or however long it was, it just doesn't feel at this point like it is coming back, that there is a sense of ending, concluding, closure to something. And I, I do feel like you said, it's reflected in our relationships in a lot of levels, not the least of which is our relationship to um, institutions in mm -hmm. and around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. What would you like to share about your experience of accessing your grief? Hmm. Maybe an maybe an early one, or maybe a primary one. Um, about accessing it in your body. Well, um, you know, there has been a, a central um, loss um, weaving its way through my life, um, probably the last six years. Um, it's been very intense, certainly the last three. Mm -hmm. And it relates actually very closely to um, my work as a a meditation teacher, a meditation mentor. You know, I learned to meditate a long, long time ago. I learned to meditate as a teenager. Mm. Um, I was a competitive swimmer. And part of our, what you could broadly call mental training, um, one of the coaches introduced us to meditation. Uh, and there was something compelling about the practice for me. To this day, I can't really put my finger on what the draw is. But, you know, from the very beginning, there's been a draw to this work and this practice. And then about 30 years ago, I started to give my engagement with meditation a slightly more or a considerably more formal um, shape. And I started to study and practice in a pair of successive Buddhist communities. Um, and these gave me opportunities to engage formal curriculum, um, to do long retreats. And then about six years ago, 2016, um, the fall of 2016, my long relationship with the second of these community, communities started to unravel. It slowly became apparent to me that what was driving that community um, was not what I thought. It was not the well-being and the development of students, um, but it was uh, the self-centered impulses of the teacher, of the leader of that situation. And these impulses gave rise to an environment that to my eye was characterized by manipulation and by disempowerment and disrespect. And, you know, cycling back to where we started with, you know, the quote, that wonderful question you raised about where grief is living and that realization that grief is so much a collective thing for me. Um, how I started to see this, I certainly felt it in my own embodied experience, but I really started to see and feel it in the experience of others. I began to see the way that this leader was treating my peers. And it ignited in a, in a somatic way and in an embodied way. And that's how I started to see, you know, this is manipulative and this is disempowering and this is disrespectful. And this guy doesn't really seem to care about the consequences of any of this. So, you know, around about 2016, you know, this relationship starts to unravel and uh, the way I'm seeing what I've been involved in for a very long time is shifting. And um, the whole situation became so disturbing and so harmful to my eye that in February 2020, I made this difficult but necessary choice to leave. I just ended this a 20-year relationship. I walked away. And that is, you know, kind of the core grief story of my last 
you know, half dozen years of my life. It is certainly the kind of the central grief story of the last three years of my life because it feels like everything has, you know, personally work related has um, been circling around this particular experience. And, you know, you asked how I connect with this. I mean, it's been an interesting journey of connection. Um, when I left, there was such relief at leaving. And at the same time, um, a sense of loss, a sense of grief that was utterly overwhelming. I mean, I'd lost a path, I'd lost peers, I'd lost a livelihood, I lost trust, I lost direction, I lost confidence. And I had no idea what to do with this. I mean, and this is, as we go through this story, this is the silver lining in, in, in loss, this loss and this grief for me, is I had utterly no idea what to do, no clue what to do. So I did two things that I feel are really notable, um, both of which opened up a relationship with grief, both of which opened up a path of recovery and healing. Uh, journey of healing, uh, exploration and discovery that continues to this day. Um, the first one is I turned to what was familiar. I meditated. And just like when I first started, I can't tell you why I meditated. It wasn't an, a, a clearly intentional act. It was what I was familiar with. And so that's what I did. I meditated and I started to settle into I started to turn towards what was happening for me, that sense of grief, maybe in a, in a way to an extent with a vividness that I never understood before. I'm turning toward my experience when I'm meditating. I'm not turning away. I am turning toward. And out of this, there came this experience of knowing um, that often spoke directly to what was happening to me, which was mystifying often spoke directly what was to what was happening to me, this loss, this grief. And out of this, there came this phase of meditation that I'd never really kind of put the pieces together before. I'd talked about meditation as turning towards and of wisdom arising, but I'd never actually seen that by turning towards and through receiving that wisdom, we're actually given the path that is our life. We're given a sense of what the next step needs to be. And that sounds like a lot of capital letters and a big statement, but it was really ordinary for me. I would meditate and I'd just be, I'm so tired and I'd rest, or I'm so lonely and I'd reach out, or I'm so stuck and I'd get some trauma therapy. So that was that one piece of this puzzle of relating to the grief of the last few years of my life this inexplicable turning toward meditation. And the second one, which is even more surprising to me, is that I did much of this meditating in community. I did it with others. With the end of that difficult relationship and the arrival of COVID in early 2020, my teaching livelihood vanished. And I started to offer something online that has evolved into the online gatherings. And I started to see the brilliant and articulate and the vulnerable and the adaptive ways others were relating to the difficulties in their life. Sometimes it was grief. Sometimes it was something else. And with these two kind of firing, I found myself moving through the experience of grief, sinking deeper into it, becoming more intimate with it, finding the uh, challenges and the opportunities within it, meditation practice, specifically helping to heal a damaged relationship with my own inner wisdom, and the community of others reminding me again and again that this inner wisdom actually exists. In the midst of grief and loss and not knowing what to do, that inner wisdom does exist. And I would forget it over and over again. And then I'd sit down in the community and people by virtue of just showing up and be them, being themselves would remind me. Mm. And so those were kind of the two, um, the, the two piece, main pieces of the puzzle that have been integral in my turning toward and developing a relationship with this particular piece of grief in my life. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. It's really big. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like been I feel the bigness of it as I as I listen to you. 
Yeah, it's really been a life-changing and life-affirming and, oh my goodness, so challenging process. It's been um, really big. Yeah. Yeah. I'd echo that. I want to come back to this inner wisdom piece in a moment. But I'm I, before that, I'd love for you to share what do you think it was that helped you turn towards? Because, you know, I see so much of my own story and what you're sharing in, in that, like, you know, right after my mom died, I kind of developed intuitively this like somatic grief experience basically that I now guide others through and it wasn't like conscious it wasn't like I have to go and do this thing so that my grief moves it was just what my body you know needed Mm -hmm. to do and I don't really remember that for me that there felt like a choice in turning towards it just felt quite natural but I know that that's not the case for so many people. And and I think it would be really helpful if you could share for the people listening, like, you know, what in your life or what in your inner, you know, makeup do you think helped you do that? I think it's, um, I would point toward two things. And and one is, I'm going to use a little bit of meditation speak now, a little bit of Buddhist speak um, to talk about this. One is unconditional in, in uh, nature, in character, and the other one is conditional. And what that means is one, the unconditional one is simply there no matter what. You don't need any conditions to come together for it to exist. So for instance, Um, Our being here together is conditional. We have to meet one another. We have to make an agreement. Zoom has to exist. We have to, you know, we have to have electricity. There are all these conditions that have to come together for this meeting to be the case. So the first um, thing that I'd point to um, in terms of what's helped me is unconditional. The second one is more conditional in nature. It's more, you know, the circumstances just simply conspired to make this the case. And the unconditional piece is what um, in the meditative tradition is called Buddha nature. And Buddha nature is this affirmation that at our core, at our essence, we are, each of us, clear and sensitive and responsive, that we have these unconditional qualities baked into, innate in who we are, inherent in who we are. And I've always had or often had a kind of eye-rolling relationship to Buddha nature. You know, it just seems like a big word that's pointing at this big concept that I don't really see or connect with in the immediacy in my life. And the conditions of my life, let's, we're now talking about the conditional piece that, of this puzzle. The conditions of my life in the last few years have actually been such that they've helped me come into contact with this. And what, would I, what am I pointing to in terms of those conditions? The fact that I was and have been and continue to be so utterly lost and dismantled and saddened and angered and broken and uh, grief stricken by what happened with that spiritual leader, what happened in that community. It, it has literally brought me, I mean, brought me to my knees, meaning all my old strategies, all, well, most of my old strategies, most of my old ways of doing things, most of my old preconceptions have, if not been dismantled, they've been perforated and loosened and holes have been poked in them all over the place, which has oddly enough made me a little bit more receptive to what is basic in my life. What is unconditional in my life? What in nature, Mm. this deep inner, let's talk in, in, you know, kind of one set of terms, this deep embodied knowing of where the next step needs to be. And that's my experience. You don't get anything more than the next step. At least I don't. This deep 
inner knowing that this is the next step that needs to happen. And then this is the next step that needs to happen. And then this is the next step. And then I look back and it's like, oh my gosh, what's been revealed here? I cannot believe it. So those two things, um, the unconditionalness of that inner knowing, basic um, knowing, what the meditative tradition calls the Buddha nature, and conditions in my life, you know, it's often talked about that, you know, the Buddha nature exists in our life, like the sun in the sky, and it's just constantly covered with clouds. So we don't, we look up and we don't see it, but it's there. And the circumstances of my life the last few years have helped dissipate the clouds to a certain extent so that I have a more ongoing relationship with an awareness of that nature. I don't think of it as my that nature. I think of it as inner knowing, um, inner wisdom, next stepness, that kind of thing, but a much deeper sense of an appreciation of acknowledgement of that in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know about you, but once one takes, you know, consciously takes 15 steps into one's life in this manner, following not my ideas of who I think I am and what I should be, but this inner knowing, it becomes easier to actually see the messages, see the wisdom that is popping up and inviting me to the 16th one and the 17th one and the 18th one. It kind of becomes affirming in that regard. Totally. So because you sort of had this longstanding practice, you were already attuned on some level to this wisdom. And because the grief was so intense, you didn't have a choice except to turn towards it. Yeah, I didn't know. You know, I often talk about leaving that community. It was, you know, I wish I could say it was an ethical move. It was a principled move. It was a, a morally driven move. I mean, it was literally a survival move. You know, I'm not sure that I can survive in here without take, taking another breath of clean air somewhere. I need to get out. And, you know, that was the the edge to which I'd been pushed up against. And, you know, that is, I think, reflected in the extent to which I now feel, you know, dismantled, grief-stricken. Mm-hmm brought into my knees is the phrase I used a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. It sounds like some of what you're describing sounds similar to um, people who have left cults or, you know, cult-like situations. Um, And I'm sure that there are people listening, you know, who have had, if not that exact experience, very similar. you know, particularly in the spiritual community, in many spiritual communities, unfortunately. Um, Yeah, there have been a couple of, there have been three terms that I've really um, struggled to come to terms with over the last, uh, you know, X number of years. You know, one would be narcissism. Um, One, another one would be spiritual abuse. And then the third one would be cult or mm -hmm. cult-like behavior and organizations. And so mm-hmm. I think that's very resonant. And I think, well, I think I know I'm not alone in that regard. I know I'm not alone, for instance, in the community that I walked away from. And I know I'm not alone in the greater community of um, spiritual practitioners, human beings, even more generally. A lot of people know what this dynamic is like yeah. and suffer within it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a really important um, type of grief to spend time on and to dive into because, you know, I mean, sort of in general in like the U.S. and other Western cultures, we tend to think of grief as just like if somebody dies, you know, Um, it's it's pretty like narrow, our understanding. Um, but the grief of losing your people, like whoever those people are, right? We're such um, relational beings. We're so, we're such connected beings um, that we, like you say, we literally need each other to survive. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of leaving what in some level 
is keeping you alive or feels like it's keeping you alive. I mean, yeah. What would you like to share about, about that journey? Yeah. I mean, I think that's an, a, a huge part of the aspect of the, the loss and the grief that I myself have experienced. You know, um, it's really interesting in some regards because we, it was a meditators community. You could say, well, you know, we didn't really speak to each other all that much. I mean, certainly we did, right? But, you know, we spent a lot of time sitting beside each other meditating, which is a pretty silent thing. But I often felt like there was a tremendous intimacy in that gesture and that we became familiar with one another on a cellular level. And, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways, it felt like and continues to feel like the connections did run that deep. And to step away from that is, um, you know, to change that relationship, I was going to say to lose that relationship, and the relationship's not lost. If the relationship was lost, I don't think there would be the grief. But the the, the huge change in the nature of that relationship um, is viscerally overwhelming. It's incredibly um, affecting on a body level. And then in the particular context that I was part of, um, there was a very strong, and again, this is very common in cult-like situations, there was a very strong sense of inside and outside of us and them. And one of the things that gave me pause before I made that step out and to become one of them was the knowledge that there would be a very real energetic door slamming once I did that. And those relationships that have been over the period of two decades became baked into, or many of those relationships that over the period of two decades had become baked into my cells, they would be irrevocably changed and silenced. Because I was now out. And it goes both ways. There's a sense of people who are inside are just not going to talk to me anymore. And also, I can't really speak to people who are inside because it's just so overwhelming. And so, you know, those relationships, that that change in that those intimate relationships is is massive and um, profoundly affecting. And, you know, gives rise to a kind of ache and longing and yearning and present absence uh, that I feel every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That sense of like, you're no longer getting mirrored. You're no longer getting resonance from these people that you've been getting this deep sense of resonance from. And it's yes. like, how do you find again your own inner witness mm -hmm. after, after that? Yes, I and I think that that that's a complicated question. You know, how do you how does one find one's own inner wisdom after something like that? Because speaking personally, anyway, in my case, you know, um, part of the grief of stepping out of, you know, we've now brought this, this term into our conversation of this cult-like um, situation involves self-doubt and self-blame. You know, that, that there, I've talked about loss in a generic way. We've talked about loss in terms of this, old these old relationships or the shape and form of these old relationships. There's also a loss of, you know, self-confidence and self-acceptance and self-valuing that for me accompanies this because I certainly look back and I'm like, I mean, honestly, to let you in on the inner dialogue, like how could I have been so blind? Mm. How could I have been so blind? What kind of fool am I? And that, you know, that loss, that manifestation of grieving then makes it really hard to do what you're talking about, begin to find and trust that authentic inner voice, that authentic under um, inner wisdom. It It's obviously there, again, because we were talking about it, it's unconditional, but it's constantly being undermined by, how could I not see it? How could I have been so blind? 
what kind of fool am I? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's really deep grief in the not knowing mm -hmm. and the not seeing. Um, and again, I mean, I hear underneath that this um, this echo of that kind of power structure, which is like if if it's your fault, mm -hmm. you know, like whatever the thing is, you did something wrong, even yes. if what you did wrong was not see it earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was a very common dynamic in the situation was that, you know, if anyone ever um, walked away, and a lot of people walked away, um, the narrative often became, it's their fault, you know, they weren't motivated enough, they didn't really understand what we were doing, they had psychological difficulties that obstructed them from doing the full path, and so on, and so forth, and so on, and so forth. And, you know, there's got to be an extent to which that's been internalized so there's this this grief that's you know there's this grieving uh, on so many levels i think that we're touching in on here you know one of the, the 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 manifestations of that in this instance is that the grieving of the loss of the relationship of my own inner integrity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know not only did I lose this, the the former shape of these relationships with peers and friends and acquaintances, um, you know, I lost this relationship with my own inner integrity through the process. And the grieving of that is is just cell deep. Yes. Yes. Totally. Mm, yeah, it's very tender. It's very, very mm -hmm. tender. Very. And so, you know, you go through this process of leaving and grieving and being, you know, drawn to your knees again and again. How did that and how does that find you in your work, in your hmm. you know, sort of professional practice? Um, yeah. How do you find it influencing you now? Well, I feel like it's it's woven through everything I do in terms of my teaching and my mentorship. Um, I feel like it's it's profoundly affected. As a result, it's profoundly affected. You know what I do and what I offer um, this world. And I talked before at the outset of describing my work as you know bringing meditation to life and exploring these three interrelated questions with one another you know how do we support meditation in our lives how do we connect the discoveries of meditation practice with the stuff of our lives and finally how do we let the wisdom that we touch in meditation reveal the path of our lives and maybe before all this happened if you asked me to name the questions that are at the core of my exploration of meditation i would have pointed toward those first two Maybe I would have articulated, okay, we need to support meditation in our lives and we need to connect the discoveries of meditation with the stuff of our lives. Out of this, maybe, out of this uh, experience of grief and loss of the last few years, that's where the third question has arisen. Mm. How do we let the wisdom that we touch through meditation reveal the necessarily unique path of our lives. That is one of the main revelations of the past number of years of that I can turn toward my life as it is. This is the practice of meditation, turn toward my life as it is. So I don't have to be anything other than what I am in this moment. I'm grieving. I'm on the floor. I have no idea what to do next. Turn toward that enter into relationship with that be curious about that and when i do that there will be insights that arise there will be fresh seeing that arises regarding that thatness and on occasion that fresh seeing will actually reveal the path of my life. It will actually reveal my next step. 
That is not an understanding of meditation that I held or nor could communicate. I certainly wasn't teaching before all this happened. And so I think that's really the piece that has um, blossomed. Mm. And, um, you know, it reflects, I think, this growing understanding, here we are coming back to Buddha nature, this growing understanding that we are far more resourced than we typically imagine, that there is a wisdom and an intelligence and a tenderness and a sensitivity baked into us as human beings that's just waiting for us to touch and follow it into the world for the benefit of others, which is the journey of meditation, the path of our lives. That is, I think, the, um, the big effect, adding that third question to my exploration of what it means to bring meditation to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like the, the third question answers the why of meditation. <laughs> and it also sounds like it's, you know, informed by the why for you. Like mm-hmm. it it's like you were meditating before and you were committed and whatever in, in a particular way. But the grief, it opened up this much more intuitive, much deeper calling. Mm-hmm. Like. And, you know, I really appreciate you saying I've never made that connection. I mean, here I am, you know, I have done a number of podcast interviews and, you know, I often start where we started here. Like, okay, well, I learned to meditate as a teenager. I was a competitive swimmer. A coach sat me down. I don't know why I was into the practice, but I was. And, you know, I still don't know why I'm in the pra- into the practice, but I am. And here we are, however many years later. Um, I, your insight regarding that third question providing the why is, is just so resonant. And it, it's resonant on a, no- a number of levels. You've pointed to one of them. The other level that I'd like to point out here that is so profoundly alive for me is you know, and this is something that's come out of the last number of years too, is, you know, I think we all are aware that the world of which we are a part is changing. Mm -hmm. I think we all see and feel and know this. And personally, I believe that in order to meet these challenges or the challenges of this situation and the opportunities of this situation, in order to meet those, I think humans, we need to bring everything we are to the table. And one of the things that meditators or contemplatives or spiritual people can do, however we want to phrase it, can can offer this moment is a sense of familiarity with and fidelity to the depths of our being and a willingness to follow these depths into the world, to bring these depths into the world in the necessarily um, unique and unprecedented way each of us was born to do. It's admittedly a very vast and daring conception of meditation, but it's one that's really alive for me and I think really speaks to the times that we're in, that meditation is not only an opportunity for us to settle and welcome wisdom, but to bring that knowing and that tenderness, to bring our path into the world, to bring meditation for life. And that's the why with a capital W for me. Mm. And I, again, I so appreciate you providing that connection, that that question, that third question that has emerged out of the ashes of the last X number of years, um, it has revealed and connected me with why in a way that wasn't the case before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very palpable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that piece that you're talking about, about the, um, the not knowing and not necessarily even needing to know what the path is. Mm-hmm. You know, like I see this so much with grieving people is like, just tell me how to get out of my pain. Just tell me what, what's gonna happen next, right? Of course. 
And if we don't trust our own inner wisdom, then there is nothing that anybody can say to us. There is no, like there are many people that will will charge thousands and thousands of dollars to tell you a 10 step path to whatever. Um, But if you don't trust yourself, if you don't trust your body, if you aren't in tune with your body, then nothing will ever fill that. Mm -hmm. And I love you're bringing the, the phrase not knowing into this because i feel like not knowing is an essential piece of the journey an essential and you know i'm a canadian my father was an accountant we're protestant by background i don't make absolute statements but i really feel like that not knowing is an essential piece of the journey for us because it is out of that not knowing Mm-hmm. That those insights arise, that that um, creative, inspired impulse forward to, for the next step mm-hmm. arises, and you know I'll just bring this down. Uh, you know I was talking to the to someone about this the other day, and I'll just bring it down. I like to do this, bring things down to really ordinary um, level, so that I can understand it in an everyday kind of way. Um, you know, as I started to set up myself up to be doing what I do online, there was a lot of pieces of, of pieces of equipment that I needed, you know, and a lot of times I found myself right down the cul-de-sac of, I don't have a clue what's going on and what I need here. And case in point, the one that I always think of is my microphone, which I'll lift up so you can see it, but your listeners will have to take our word for it. This really nice microphone that I have. It's, that I think it's nice so, <laughs> so nice looking, so That's nice sounding. Microphone. <laughs> um, so, you know, I realized I needed a, a, a microphone and I didn't know anything about microphones. And when I struggled against this fact, when I fought with this fact that I didn't know anything about microphones, I got nowhere. Mm -hmm. The only way I found my next step was by saying, I know nothing about microphones. And then it was like, okay, I'll go on Google and like, what types of microphones are about? Or are there out there? And I'd find a list. Okay, there's actually nine kinds of microphones. I'm making that number up. There's nine kinds of microphones. It's like, okay, I know that there's nine kinds of microphones, but I don't know anything else. And then I would fight it and fight it until eventually it was like, okay, all I know is that there's nine kinds of microphones. And there would be this sense of like, oh, well, why don't I take check this out then? And through that process of not knowing, and it was such a vivid and alive process, of not knowing again and again and again, not know, step, not know, step. I eventually came to a place where I have this really snazzy microphone in my life. And I think of this all the time when I'm sitting here talking, meditating, teaching, and this piece of equipment's in front of me because I feel like this mic has um, manifested out of the depths of mystery. It Mm. is a manifestation of mystery, of not knowing of um, our deep human ability to rest with uncertainty and receive the insight that's going to give us the next step in our journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. not knowing was utterly essential because fighting that wasn't getting me anywhere. Trying to pretend I didn't know didn't work. Yeah, and for me, what's also coming up is this piece of like, do it anyway, even if you don't know, Mm -hmm. right? Like what happens if you just allow yourself to be with the mess, whatever the mess is and do it anyway, like buy the damn microphone anyway. Or for me, it was like starting a podcast and not having a microphone, for example. (laughs) Yeah. No, for somebody else, it's like going to a grief group, even if it scares them, you know? Yeah like doing it anyway, like we have paying attention, turning toward what happens next, because it'll give you uh, a glimpse of where the course, where the path wants to go. Yeah, that feels really, really true. Yeah. 
like where the course, where the path wants to go, that it actually already, it has a, it has a direction. It has a shape. Yeah. Just like, and it's right. And it's right here waiting for us, which is so beautiful. I mean, this is the other, one of the other many revelations of the past few years. I mean, it's there waiting for us in the stuff of our embodied lives right now. I mean, you know, we haven't used these words, but I'll come right out. You know, I've been a mess. I've been a wreck. I've not been the kind of person I want to present in public a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I've not been the kind of, I've not been offering the kind of um, intimations of path and journey that I thought I would as- aspire to in my life. And yet by turning toward that, mm. this embodied thisness of my life, as unsatisfying, as frustrating, as heartbreaking as it's been, there have been these blossoming gifts and revelations that, uh, you know, I wouldn't wish what I've been gone through on anyone, but I, I cannot imagine living without now. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, the path is right here. It's right here in the difficult, messy, broken-hearted, open-hearted, grief-stricken, joyful stuff of what our life is in this moment. Mm -hmm. What a shocker. Yeah. It really brings you back to that image earlier of the clouds parting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I always say the grief is like the ultimate, um, you know, like it really takes your sunglasses off. If you had any, like, you can really see you fully, you know, in ways that you Mm -hmm. couldn't um and that goes for living your life too that doesn't just go for how you you know survive death but how do you actually go forward and i mean want to i don't know whether it was um it's part of the intro you always do or whether it was part of the intro to one of the episodes I listened to before we came together, but you talked about, you know, grief as a sacred process that brings us home. And I feel like that's, you know, my understanding of what you're pointing to is, is that cloud opening quality of grief is a coming homeness because we're coming home to through the most difficult of circumstances, we're coming home to the basic, the essential, the inherent in who we are. And, um, you know, it's just such a beautiful way of understanding um, uh, an experience that is often, um, in my past anyway, viewed with a certain amount of uh, trepidation and hesitancy. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So how does, and you can say this in in past tense and in present tense, like how does and did spirit show up in your grief or your relationship to spirituality? Like how has that changed? We've, We've started to get into this, but is there anything that comes to mind? I think it came, it showed up two ways. And, you know, I've already talked about them in some, to some extent. Uh, Mm -hmm. I feel like I keep saying that, you know, well, my answer to that happens in two different ways. My answer to that question comes in two different ways. So here we are two different ways yet again. Um, One is uh, those moments of knowing that would arise out of the depth of not knowing were, Mm -hmm. And are tremendously affirming of something in my life. Um, I've used the phrase Buddha nature. For me, that doesn't quite have the living, nurturing, illuminative quality. I feel like I need spirit is closer. Mystery is another thing I often talk about or soul. Mm -hmm. Um, Those moments were an affirmation of what all those terms point toward for me. As were the moments when I would um, come into our online community, feeling wretched, feeling cloud covered, and just feel those clouds part when someone simply shared how they were doing, where they were at, you know, 
no one was trying to do anything that was a big deal, but people would just share honestly what was going on for them or the insights that they'd had through the week or their understanding of a particular teaching that we'd been working with, looking at, contemplating. And there would be, again and again, there would be, there is a kind of clarity or brilliance that would shine through beneath their words that was affirming of the exact same thing for me, you know, Buddha nature, basic nature, soul, spirit, mystery, um, wonder, the divine. Um, those are the ways that it's been showing up. Glimpses, you know, momentary glimpses. Um, that, and those momentary glimpses, those two kinds of momentary glimpses and their um, prevalence in my life have helped me to connect with um, glimpses elsewhere. And a common example would be, you know, me trudging my way to the grocery store, grumbling about the grocery list that, you know, I'm trying to remember when a sudden gust of wind picks me up, literally, you know, from having my head down towards the ground, picks me up and takes the clouds off my eyes. And suddenly for a moment, there's just this beautiful, wonderful, alive, mysterious life that I'm immersed in. Mm -hmm. And then I'm back in the grocery list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think those two, you know, those, those two, those glimpses that arise um, largely through my meditation practice, but not exclusively. And those glimpses that arise in community, in relationship with others, um, those have been the, the, the sustaining arena of mm. spirit, mystery, Buddha nature, um, soul for me in the last number of years. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so human. Yeah. So human. <laughs> so it's so human. You know, I, I, I hope anyone who's listening just yeah, is reminded of the like the real earth body shit, right? Of living <laughs> with grief mm -hmm. and turning towards spirit is really kind of mundane, but then it's also magical at the same time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I and I love that you know it's joined by that wonderful conjunction, and mm -hmm. it's really ordinary and totally extraordinary. It's completely mundane and totally magical. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a beautiful, a beautiful series of connective phrases that describe it. Yeah. When I, I, I did notice in my grief, I've st I stopped using the word, but very much, hmm. pretty much only use and because that's the truth. <laughs> Yeah, we've often joked in the, the online gatherings meditation community, we've often joked that we should rename the community and just and because this is, you know, we constantly are coming back to this vast, inclusive sense of what our lives are. You know, they are this and that they are ordinary and magical, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's so wonderfully nourishing and affirming and, uh, you know, aligned is what it feels like. Mm, beautiful. Hmm. Is there anything else that wants to be shared or named before we close hmm. the conversation today? You know, I think that um I've talked a little bit about uh some of the insights that have come my way in the last um, few years, you know, um, working with grief, the revelations that come out of this. And I've talked about, you know, we're far more the realization that we're far more realized or resourced than we typically imagine. I mentioned this insight that, um, you know, we as meditators or spiritual people or, or contemplative people do have, in my opinion, something unique to offer these difficult and challenging times. Um, you know, the third one, and we were just talking about it, but I want to make it explicit. I think the third um, major insight that's come to me in this span is that 
whether we're talking about this work of bringing meditation to life or this work of living our truest selves or, you know, however we want to phrase it, um, much to my surprise, I've, I've come to the tentative conclusion that, you know, we can't do this alone. You know, we need the examples and the reminders that others provide to be reminded and to develop a sense of trust with our own rich inner inheritance. And um, that, that to me has been a huge part of the puzzle of the last few years to do this work within a community setting, within a culture that encourages and empowers, that inspires and supports me and us as we make this journey of meditation, but make this journey that is our lives. I feel like that would be a piece I'd like to explicitly touch on before we conclude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can't do it alone and we shouldn't. Yeah do it alone and I think so much of the the unlearning that I see happening is is that it's like yes maybe I've been told my whole life that my pain is my own and that my grief is my own and that my whatever is my own to carry and I actually don't have to do it alone yeah yeah, which beautifully brings us full circle to, you know, that initial question that you asked, how is my grief living in my body mm -hmm. today? And that recognition of the connected communal relational um, manifestation that grief has, at least for me, and that has been central to this whole process. Because as I said, I started to see and feel and connect with my own suffering and grief in that former community by seeing and feeling and knowing it in others. That was my portal in, and I couldn't have done it without that manifestation of grief becoming clear and apparent to me. Yes. And yeah. you couldn't have been able to sit here talking about it now without community. Yes. Uh, creating and rebuilding and finding your own a, a different community yeah wouldn't have wouldn't be possible at all yeah. so i just invite anyone who's listening to start to get curious about the ways that you might be hiding and trying to do it alone and just a reminder that it doesn't take that many people to to witness us and to really yeah to really feel supported mm. Mm -hmm. mm. thank you so much for this conversation neil where can people find you if they want to stay connected well, I mean, you can find me in all the usual places, of course, Facebook, Instagram, um, my podcast is on the podcast, various podcast out, out, uh, outlets. But, you know, the best way, um, because bringing meditation to life is actually a really broad mandate and what I offer is fairly wide ranging, the best place is to go to my website, uh, neilmckinley.com. I'm a L-A-Y McKinley, not an L-E-Y McKinley do not know where you'll end up if you look at neilmckinley.com. Um, neilmckinley.com, um, you'll get a sense of everything that I offer, include the, including the online gatherings, what I've which I've talked about. And you know, if you're so inclined, sign on to the newsletter there, which will give you a gradual introduction to all I'm offering. It'll give you a sense of upcoming events and special offers. And it's also a reminder. It's also a reminder that meditation may have something to offer in our lives. I run into people um, every once in a while who will say to me like, oh, I saw your newsletter showed up the other day. Great. And I'm like, oh, you really enjoyed listening, reading it. And they said, well, I actually never opened the email. I'm like, well, what's great about that? you know, feeling a little bit chuffed. And they point out that um, it just reminds them that meditation may have something to offer. 
And mm-hmm. that's just so exciting to me, hearing that and understanding that that's the way, one of the ways people are relating to the newsletter is exciting. So it gives that's you this fun. gradual introduction, special deals, and it offers a reminder once a month that maybe meditation has something to offer. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Well, I'll link all that information in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Really appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. It's been uh, a wonderful exploration. I hope uh, you and your listeners, you have enjoyed it, and I hope your listeners enjoy it when they uh, listen themselves. one of the things I find is, is it's like my grief journey goes a little bit deeper through these conversations. And it's really been the case here today. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. Yes. Today. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, dear listener, for going on this journey with me. Much gratitude to beautiful chorus and Naomi Westwater for the beautiful opening and closing music. If you resonate with this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a generous review and by sharing it with your communities. You can also join my Grief Village community on Patreon, where we have twice monthly Move Your Grief Circles, a monthly Q&A, and an ever-growing collection of meditations, practices, and other resources. Details to join as well as more information about my work are in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Until next time, have a soulful day.